uh, getting into the Word. If you've got your Bible, you can open up to Isaiah chapter 58. Special sermon today. Hold on one minute. I'm going to do a little mechanical work here. My new pulpit, you guys, is such a fun thing to get to adjust it a little bit. Uh, yeah, I know. We get to, the little guys like to crank that thing. Um, so, special day. Finished the book of John two weeks ago, um, and we'll be beginning the book of Acts here shortly. Looking forward to going through that powerful book with you guys. Um, but as we're at uh, a week season here of fasting, wanted to get into the Word with you guys and look at the biblical precedent of fasting, that great Christian discipline. And uh, we're in Isaiah chapter 58, going to look at these 14 verses. Uh, what I've titled, The Stellar Results of Fasting. And uh, because it's second service, I have a little breathing room, and I'm going to pray for us right now before we get into the Word. That's kind of nice. Uh, thank you, Lord, so much for bringing this group to this church on this day. And just knowing what your Word has to say and knowing what our experience has been through seeking you with fasting, um, where we look forward to what you've got for us this week. And I personally know that um, this is a daunting subject. This is a scary subject. Um, it's something that, that we kind of default to not participating in. Um, and yet, Lord, we know you're good to, to bring us around and to convict us and to uh, show us this weapon in our arsenal that has been buried for so long. And so uh, just speak to us today, let your word have its work, and we look forward to all that you have for us this next week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, fasting, a little bit daunting subject, right? You know, you're probably thinking uh, Calvary Chapel, a sect of the Hare Krishnas, you know, maybe, or the followers of Gandhi, or something like that. Uh, but you know what? Very biblical principle and discipline is that principle and discipline of fasting and seeking the Lord. Uh, as one person put it, fasting is denying the physical to seek the spiritual. In a way, it's taking our hunger and transposing it to hungering for God. It's taking our desire for food and making it a longer for the Lord. And in a sense, there's, there's something crazy in God's design of the human body that connects our stomach especially and our cravings to the throne room of heaven. I don't fully understand it. Maybe I don't even understand it a little bit. Um, but somehow, when our stomachs begin to growl, or I think it was Winnie the Pooh that said, I've got a rumbly in my tumbly, time for something sweet. You know, uh, when we get that rumbly in our tumbly, and instead of going towards the tasty treat burger, you know, we say, Lord, as much as I want, you know, the Roundup burger uh, with tater tots and fries and the special fry sauce, as much as I want that right now, I realize that there is something bigger at the kingdom of heaven, and, and I want that right now. And it's more than just saying, I long for you, Lord. It's showing the Lord, I long for you. And our God, who's participated in fasting, as you read the Gospels, 40 days, right? Uh, he knows the feeling. He knows what day three is like in a fast. And, he, and so he sees, like, there they are. There they are. And you hear that growling and you hear those prayings that are born from the growling, respect, you know. And it's not that he owes us anything, but he says, they really want me. <laughs> they really want me. And so there's this great transposing that happens, taking our hunger and transposing it to prayer. Denying the physical to seek the spiritual. Ceasing to eat to seek the Lord. Uh, John Chrysostom said, we fast to offer our entire selves to the dedication of spiritual things. 
having distanced ourselves from secular things. And so fasting is just an opportunity to distance yourself from secular things. Now, a biblical definition of fasting, it begins with food. Like at the core, it has to do with abstaining from food, getting that stumblick, stumblick, stumblick rumbling, uh, and, and crying out to the Lord through prayer, right? Um, that's biblical at its heart. And it also can be uh, merging into just other physical things that own you, things that you have to have, uh, and, and just laying them down and becoming their master. If these are things that master you, Fasting is a time to, as Paul says, discipline my body and bring it under subjection. Uh, or as the literal translation says, I give myself the black eye. Like it's just discipline. Discipline is a good thing. I give myself the black eye. And, and these things can't rule over me. All right? And so during this week, it may be for you that, man, I'm just, I can't, the news, I've been watching the news and reading the Facebook and it's just, gets my blood boiling and I get worried and anxious and mad at the system and this and that and the other. And the Lord's like, Hey, you know what? Why don't you let me have this week? I'll take it from here, you know, and just give it over to him. Uh, and that would be a good thing. Uh, you know, normally we watch TV every night, you know, and it's like, you know what this week? No, like we're going to just seek spiritual things and see what the Lord could do. Um, but as Arthur Wallace in his book, God's chosen fast said a lot of times because we love to eat and we don't want to get away from that. We tend to widen the meaning of fasting so much that it loses its cutting edge, you know? And so uh, at its heart, the cutting edge, it's food, right? Um, and it's, it's all right to kind of widen it a bit and be like, you know, because of my medications and these things that I'm on, you know, I can't really stop eating to- or because of my work and this and that. That's all right. What I'm asking you to do this week, you guys, is to just seek the Lord and to say, what is this week supposed to look like for me? Uh, as your pastor, I'm calling the church to some sort of fasting, and as much as you can, gather down here three times a day, 6 a.m., noon, and 6 p.m., and we'll talk about that schedule towards the end of the service. Uh, and so just be praying about, man, you know, I can pull away at lunch and get down there, or I can come before uh, work, or I'll watch the kids, let the husband come down in the morning, and then he can watch the kids, and I can come down, you know, whatever it is, we're going to work it out so that as much as we can, we want to be down there seeking uh, the Lord with the church and then praying about what that fasting to be honest with you I've been praying about what the fast is to look like for me this year and I'm I'm kind of going uh, a couple different directions a lot of times I'll kind of start out like oh you know it's, I'm probably gonna you know eat a meal during the day at some point and then but you know two other meals it's fasting and then the Lord's like well how desperate are you you for me to move in this area in the church or in this area in your life i'm I'm pretty desperate (laughs) he's like well okay so like crank up that desperation level and cry out to me with desperate hunger you know and so just pray like i think it's good to just be led by the spirit there's no condemnation whatever it looks like for you but uh we want to dedicate ourselves to spiritual things and distance ourselves from secular things Uh, It was a guy named Franklin Hall who said that man's digestive tract becomes a faith organ during fasting. I like that, you know, and for like a, like an old school organ, like, maybe not, maybe, but uh, it's like that stomach becomes a faith organ, right? And we just begin just excreting the juices of faith and praise and worship and desire to the Lord. Franklin Hall also wrote, I'll talk about his book in just a little bit, that soul hunger and travail, which moves the hand of God to open the windows of heaven, through which God will pour out his spirit and power in a mighty way. Our spiritual progress will be like supersonic speed. He says in his 1946 book, Atomic Power with God Through Fasting and Prayer, he says our ultimate aim and desire should be the exalting of Jesus Christ and the glorifying of him. Without prayer and fasting, every Christian will more or less mark time and fail in their purpose. The most successful and the quickest method is through prayer and fasting. This pleases Jesus and in pleasing him, we are 
uh, giving ourselves great opportunities. And so, you know, the Christian, oftentimes they avail themselves of those great opportunities by not fasting. And, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke it when he said, when you pray and when you fast. As disciples of Jesus, he's speaking to us, when you pray, when you fast. He doesn't say, if you decide to fast sometime, which is probably a natural inclination of yours to not eat and to afflict yourself with hunger. Like, that's probably not something that's like, ah, I want to do that. You know, he's, it, he encourages us to make that a part of our habits and our practices. Andrew Murray wrote a great book called With Christ in the School of Prayer. And he said, prayer is the hand with which we grab the spiritual Fasting is the other hand by which we let go of the physical. Okay, and I like that because when you think of, say, Second uh, Chronicles twenty, I think it is, um, the children of Israel are losing a battle. No, I'm sorry. It's, there's a beautiful fasting passage, Second Chronicles twenty. It's uh, it's a judges passage. Um, just a horrible crime happened in Israel by the tribe of Benjamin. They did it. And they wouldn't repent of that crime, killing a lady and dismembering. It was a horrible, horrible thing. And, and the tribe of Benjamin was called to repent, but they wouldn't repent. So the other tribes of Israel went after the tribe of Benjamin. And they were losing the battle against one dinky little tribe, right? And so they prayed to the Lord, Lord, help us to win this battle. They go out, they lose the battle again. So then they wept and prayed to the Lord. That seems pretty powerful, right? I prayed and I cried. You know, the Lord's going to hear me on this one. And they lost the battle again. So then they go back and they fasted and they prayed and the Lord said, now go up. And the Lord gave them the victory. And so there's, there's a powerful thing in prayer, no doubt about it. But there's something about fasting that just adds power, adds turbo and, and the Lord honors uh, times of fasting by, by moving in power. Uh, think about it this way. Uh, let's just say that you're led this week to fast from lunch, okay? So you're at work, and instead of normally, you know, getting out your salad that you prepared and eating it in the, in the staff room with the other employees, let's just say you're going to fast from lunch every day, and, in, and you're going to just go find a spot, you're going to pray, you're going to read the Isaiah passage that we have for you. And uh, that would give you five hours of prayer in a week. Like, you went from zero to hero, right? You went from zero to five. Like, that's powerful, you guys. And so pray about it. If it's just that lunch, or if it's all three meals for that whole period, uh, I love what John Chrysostom had to say. He was a third century preacher, and his Chrysostom was his nickname, and it means golden-tongued. They called him the golden-tongued preacher. And when he would preach, people would applaud. They'd just start applauding. And so he had to do a special sermon telling people, stop applauding while I'm preaching. And guess what they did during that sermon? They all started applauding, right? I just love that story. Uh, and so uh, here he, he just had an incredible message on fasting, third century, you guys, and listen to what he had to say. Therefore, as when the winter is over and the summer is appearing, the sailor draws his vessel to the deep and the soldier burnishes his arms and makes ready his steed for the battle. And the husbandman sharpens his sickle, and the traveler boldly undertakes a long journey, and the wrestler strips and bears himself for the contest. So too, when the fast makes its appearance, like a kind of spiritual summer, let us as soldiers burnish our weapons, and as husbandmen let us sharpen our sickle, and as sailors let us order our thoughts against the waves of extravagant desires." And as travelers, let us set out on the journey towards heaven. And as wrestlers, let us strip for the contest. For the believer is at once a husbandman and a sailor and a soldier and a wrestler and a traveler. Sharpen thy sickle, which thou hast blunted through gluttony. Sharpen it by fasting. Lay hold of the pathway which leads towards heaven. Rugged and narrow as it is, 
lay hold of it and journey on. And how mayst thou be able to do these things? By subduing thy body and bringing it into subjection. For when the way grows narrow, the corpulence, and I had to look up that word. Maybe some of you know what corpulence is. I looked up corpulence. It's fat flab. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, now you're speaking my language, you know. Thank you, John Chrysostom from the third century. All right. So when the way grows narrow, the fat flab that comes from gluttony is a great hindrance. Keep down the waves of inordinate desires. Repel the tempest of evil thoughts. Preserve the boat. Display much skill. And thou hast become a pilot. But we shall have the fast for a groundwork and instructor and all these things. Man, that's good. Woo, that's preaching right there. All right, so for Chrysostom, fasting in that season is like summer coming, right? And I love that about, um, about our fast as a church because one man said, it sets the tone for our year as a church. And it's nice to do it in January because we are able to look ahead at what the, you know, all the things that we've got that come ahead and, and the battles that are ahead of us and the decisions that have to be made. And, you know, there's so much and it's, we're able to, you know, sharpen the sickle and, you know, get the boat ready for sailing and, um, you know, get ready for the contest. And, uh, and so perhaps that's a word for you for this week of, you know, it's time to prep ourselves as a family and as leaders of our home uh, for the, the summer and what's ahead. There's a, there's a guy named Franklin Hall, I've quoted him today, wrote this book, Atomic Power uh, through prayer and fasting. It was written in 1946, right after uh, World War II. No doubt, fresh in his memory is, you know, the dropping of the atomic bomb, which brought an end to World War II and peace on earth there for a season, right? So no doubt, as uh, in the context that he's writing, he, the whole world is thinking atomic stuff, right? And so he was able to take that just that image of the power that came from the atomic bomb and, and consider what prayer and fasting is and how powerful it is for the Christian. And so he, he has all sorts of big stuff uh, regarding the science behind, boom, what all happened there. But then he would quote General Farrell and physicist Walter Graham and say, this atomic bomb isn't a bomb at all. The physicist Graham said, these are the fires of the universe. This is the great natural power that man has discovered. So think about that. Uh, what was it called? The, we just were talking about it this week in youth group with our science class we're doing. The, what was the committee that discovered the atomic bomb? The Manhattan Project, right? Thank you. Good job. Jenny was listening at youth group this week, All right? So the Manhattan Project discovering this great natural power. And then Hall writes, but greater still and more potent is the spiritual atomic power with God that lies available to every Christian. The scientist can now use and harness the power of the material atom, but the Christian can use and harness the dynamic power of the great creator of the atom. As the creator is greater than that which he has created, so is the power wielded by the Christian through fasting and prayer greater than that wielded by the atomic scientist. It is the purpose of this volume to show the Christian a sure method whereby he may obtain this mighty power and may be able to move the omnipotent hand of God. This will be our spiritual atomic jet propulsion power. Now, you got to appreciate Hall and his passion for fasting here. There's not a ton written about fasting. It's tough to find much material, many books. Uh, by the time I got to Franklin Hall's Atomic Power Through Prayer and Fasting, it was like going through the paperback section at the Neat Repeat. You know, it was like, what's this dog-eared, torn-up thing, you know? And, uh, and I read it, and it was so interesting to me. I encourage you to check it out, look for it. Um, mo- moving on to the Pentecostal side of things, not in a negative way, but maybe to the pendulum swing over here, where his his understanding 
as he looks at biblical illustrations, is that, man, the victories that we would have if we would take this powerful weapon of fasting and utilize it. Victories in health, victories over our body, um, you know, and, and, you know, maybe to a degree, and I always want you guys to test things, be like Bereans and test things, but even to say many testimonies of cancers and diseases being healed as people have kind of detoxed for 40 day fasts and just kind of gone that extreme and breakthroughs and doors open and all kinds of incredible things. We want to be we're biblical here and we know that people get sick. We know that the apostle Paul had infirmities that wouldn't go away. And we know that everybody dies, right? So we're not going to go to like some weird extreme like, but major healing is Franklin Hall's testimony. And it's encouraging that maybe you've got an illness and maybe you've never petitioned the Lord with some extreme fasting and brought your brothers and sisters around you to go to the Lord with fasting for this illness. Um, and I would encourage you Tuesday night, we're going to be gathering and we're going to be praying for healing. And so come, especially Tuesday night, if you have an illness, we're going to be praying, anointing with oil, bring a friend. If you have a friend that's ill and we're just going to pray and touch the hem of his garment and see what he'll do, trusting him that it's all in his goodwill. Amen. Like, I don't even know what church I'm at right now, but we're all over the place. Yep. Welcome to Calvary, right? Biblical precedent of fasting is amazing. Look at our teaching archives here at Calvary for the surveys through the word that we've done on fasting. Church history is so powerful. The guys that would fast, Martin Luther fasted for days at a time while he translated the Latin Bible into uh, German. And some have said it is undoubtedly the secret of his unrivaled translation. Luther was actually criticized for fasting too much. John Calvin fasted and prayed until most of Geneva turned to the Lord. George Whitfield actually fasted before he was even born again, fasted before his conversion. The Lord used that to give him sorrow for sin and to bring him to the Savior. And then if you know the leading of the Great Awakening by George Whitfield, he had the largest gatherings of America uh, for many years um, that he would just preach out in the open air um, in the fields and whatnot, even uh, some would say becoming very good friends with Benjamin Franklin, and some would say there's evidence that he ended up, uh, Franklin became a Christian later on in life before his death. As secular and as uh, worldly as Benjamin Franklin was, that there's some evidence that he may have repented and come to the Lord through uh, Whitfield's ministry. John Knox, the great reformer, fasted and prayed, and the wicked Queen of Mary said of Scott that she... Uh, Queen of Scots said she feared no weapon like she feared John Knox's prayers. Uh, Jonathan Edwards uh, was part of God's revival in New England uh, and a revival there. He fasted for 22 hours prior to preaching the famous sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Jonathan Wesley was written to have fasted twice a week. Charles Finney, the great evangelist and musician, uh, Charles Finney was a man who fasted and prayed. Um, during a great revival in America in 1859, many businessmen took their lunch hours to fast and pray, and that led to uh, a great revival where in two years, a million people came to Jesus. Billy Graham reportedly fasted and prayed during his voyage to England in the 1950s, beginning a great ministry for him. And uh, last uh, year at this time, I preached a sermon about our church's history and fasting and the way the Lord's moved in power here at Calvary. So uh, I encourage you, I just reposted it to our public church Facebook page. Uh, you can get on there and listen to that, or it's recently uploaded again to our YouTube page. And it's just our testimonies here um, at Calvary Prineville. Uh, I was going through some old notes and I found a quote from my son, Russell. Uh, he's 14 now. It was a few years ago that he said this, but as we were talking and prepping for fasting, my son Russell said, hey, fasting is kind of like Jesus grounding you. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's not the heart we want to have going into it. Like, a whole week of just not playing video games and eating candy bars. You know, um, you know and so we don't want to have that heart. We want to recognize with the biblical fathers and the, uh, the church fathers that there's powerful weaponry here 
uh, and great soul longing for the Lord. Finally, DL, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, I wonder whether we have ever fasted. I wonder whether it's ever occurred to us that we ought to be considering the question of fasting. The fact is that this whole subject seems to have dropped right out of our lives and right out of our whole Christian thinking. And so maybe that's a little bit of you. If you're new to Calvary or just maybe in the last couple of years and you just never have gotten the fasting thing, um, I wonder if it's just dropped out of your life and that maybe today if you'd have open ears to hear what the Lord has to say through Isaiah, um, maybe he would open up a great well of life-giving uh, water for you. And so let's get into the text. It's 14 verses. I'm going to do my best to kind of go through it rapidly and yet um, rightly. And so let's check it out. Verse 1, Isaiah 58. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. Uh, so being a prophet, almost a John the Baptist type ministry, uh, he's crying out, Isaiah, to Judah about their sin, about their idolatry, about their uh, religiosity that um, is, is something that's disgusting uh, the Lord. And so it's not with a whole lot of tenderness. It's with a bit of severity as he cries out like the blast of a trumpet and calls people to repentance and to seek the Lord in spirit and in truth. And he says in verse 2, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God, they ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. And so uh, it sounds good at first, right? That sounds like, oh, they're doing something right, you know? It sounds good, but what Isaiah is going to be getting into is that they are hypocritical religious what we would call Pharisees in the New Testament. The people of Judah have got a lot of the external patterns down, including fasting and prayer, and yet they've become sinful in their methods of doing so, and they miss the point of it all. All right? And uh, it kind of reminded me of, well, what Jesus said in Matthew fifteen eight that these are people who draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Man, if that's not something that comes into my mind every time I'm here gathered with you guys, man, I don't want to be someone that just maybe appears to be worshiping, you know, on the outside and then, but just I'm distant from the Lord. I want, I want it to be in here where that worship is coming from. And from here, it moves the, out, the outer man. Uh, but you guys remember the band Switchfoot? I think they're still doing stuff. And John Foreman, and uh, he had like kind of his menace, uh, his, his, um, well, it was a ministry. It was kind of his worship ministry as an individual. But he wrote a song uh, that said, and it's from Isaiah, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your praise, the hypocrisy of your festivals. I hate all your show. Away with your noisy worship. Away with your noisy hymns. I stomp on my ears when you're singing them. I hate all your show. Instead, let there be a flood of justice. An endless procession of righteous living. Instead, let there be a flood of justice instead of a show. Your eyes are closed when you're praying. You sing right along with the band. You shine up your shoes for services, but there's blood on your hands. There's blood on your hands. You turn your back on the homeless and the ones that don't fit in your plan. Quit playing religion games. There's blood on your hands. So instead, let there be a flood of justice, an endless procession of righteous living, living. There's an echo. Um, and so great corrective lyrics there, just basically pulled right out of Isaiah. We'll see them again this week as we read through it. And, and, and goes right through this text as well. Really, um, you see those different things. So uh, they're going to say in verse three, well, then why have we fasted and you've not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Like, Hey, we've been doing the dance. Don't you want the dance Lord? We've been jumping through all the hoops. So why don't you do what we want and let us just kind of live our life the rest of the week or the rest of the year. Uh, and we'll just kind of do our little fast this week. So it, it's corrective to us, even as we go into this fast, I remember, year one, year two of the fast here at Calvary and people kind of speaking up like, well, hey, what if we like get too religious about our fasting? And at the time I was like, the American church isn't even fasting. Like let's that, let's cross that bridge when we get there. Right. 
And now by year 12 as a church of fasting, um, perhaps it's just good to like visit. Why are we fasting? How am I going to fast this year? Where's my heart at in it? What am I, what's my participation level? Am I at all becoming like the, the Judean individual and just a hypocritical religion? Like, all right, Lord, I'll jump through your hoops if that's what you want for me at Calvary Chapel this week. But then, hey, we go back to my way by next Saturday, you know? Uh, and so, come on, God, don't you see us dancing for you? But then verse three goes on to say, hey, actually, in fact, on the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. So these guys were going and fasting and then they're turning around and going back out to their places of employment and their employees and they're still being jerks and they're exploiting and they're not being fair and they're not practicing justice, all right? And so in verse four, it says, indeed, you fast for strife and debate and you strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. And so Isaiah 58 serves as a good guide of how not to fast and what not to do during the fast. The the revised standard version says, look, you serve your own interests on your fast day. You oppress and exploit all your workers. The NIV says your fasting ends with quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. Chrysostom said fasting is a medicine But medicine, as beneficial as it is, becomes useless because of the inexperience of the user. And so we want to use this medicine. It kind of reminds me of, you know, kind of the Native American heritage. Like, there's strong medicine in fasting. And it's like, there's strong medicine in fasting. Fasting's a medicine. All right? But we want to make sure we're using it as prescribed, please. You know? Um, Verse 5. Is it a fast that I've chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down with his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? So you just hear the heart of the Lord that you guys think that what I want is just you guys just making a big old show and wearing the sackcloth and the ashes and, you know, bowing your head. I I really wanted to do the work and figure out what this bulrush is. So, you know, maybe some of you with your Google can type. I mean, what's a bull rush? You know, um, you're going to see some good bull poker from rodeos. If you type that in, I'm going to let you know. But, you know, uh, I imagine, you know, it's, it's bowing down, facing the dirt, uh, tearing the garments, showing the morning, but only doing it external, afflicting your soul. And the Lord is saying, like, you think that's what I want from you? Just for you to do that? Right? Did I command you to do all that religious stuff? Uh, uh, Webb writes, religion that drifts into superstition and self-righteousness becomes a hollow thing lacking integrity and power. This is the inevitable outcome, though, when leaders fail to speak to God's people about their sins and challenge them with the ongoing need for repentance. So you're not just going to be challenged here on this Sunday to, come on guys, don't you have any discipline in your life? Why don't you, you know, suffer a little bit? you know, uh, get a little three day beard going on during the week because you've been fasting and join us. You know, uh, that's not really what the message is here. The message is like, God has something for us in our time of fasting. He wants us to be purified, to have sorrow for our sin, to repent of our sin, to seek his grace, to have the outpouring of the Holy spirit, to be about his mission, to have healing and health and, uh, and to bring him glory, you know? And so it goes on to be verse six, is this not the fast that I have chosen? And so beginning in verse six, I mean, this is highlightable stuff right here, just so you know. This is the stuff where the Lord is like, here is what I want for you in a time of fasting, okay? Is this not the fast that I've chosen? Quick book reference for you. Arthur Wallace's book, God's Chosen Fast, okay? Get it, have it in your library. Um, see if you can get it in a Kindle version or an online document form and read it this week even. Great, great resource, okay? And he goes through Isaiah 58. Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness? All right, so we're gonna begin some 20 things here that are these stellar results of fasting, okay? When you're fasting God's way, something that you will see happen is number one, the bonds of wickedness will be loosed. Pray about what that is. 
Even before we start the fast tomorrow, be praying about, are there bonds of wickedness in my life? Is there wickedness in my life? And wicked, we often think like the far extreme, just darkness and witchcraft and sorcery. And you may be like, well, I haven't been a part of a seance in a while. It's been a while since I've sacrificed a cat, you know, or something like that. It's like, okay, yeah, that would be pretty dark. But you read the scripture, man, there are all kinds of evil and wicked things that to the Lord, it's wicked and it's destructive here on earth to you. Things even like your attitude towards your parents, disobedient to parents, the way you honor them, immorality, things like that. Seek the Lord. Lord, are there any bonds of wickedness in me or in our church or around us? Okay. And, and the Lord wants to this week, loose those bonds of wickedness. He wants to, the next thing, undo the heavy burdens or literally to undo the bonds of the yoke to let the oppressed go free the judeans were making more oppression that's not the lord's heart for the fast he wants the oppressed to go free and the fourth thing and i'm going to pause for a second to break every yoke so there's kind of a little theme there with loosing bonds undoing heavy burdens letting the oppressed go free breaking every yoke uh, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the humanitarian portion of that. But just as I was praying over this the last day, I just feel like during this fast, the Lord wants to release people in our church from yokes and oppression that they have had. And, and I'm, I'm actually talking even less spiritual than maybe you might think. I'm even talking about commitments that you've gotten yourself into or patterns that you've gotten yourself into within a year that it's like, well, this is what we do in the year. This is what our year looks like. This is how much time that I'm just devoted to this hobby or this uh, responsibility, you know, and it's something that's just sucking you dry. It's sucking your family dry. It's sucking your spiritual life dry. And you're just in something because it's just what you've always done. And you've yoked yourself with some commitments that, you know what, the Lord's kind of over that for you. Like you don't have to be owned by anything. Okay. And so perhaps this is, maybe that just is a word for you. Like there are things that I've just been yoked by and the Lord wants to bring freedom from that. Okay. Uh, and then of course, to the degree of the spiritual oppression, the spiritual yoke and to have hearts that are open as we were last year during our fast to see, Lord, are there things that we need to still be aware of um, in the polarization of our country and some of the cries for racial justice, is there anything that we still need to stand up for as Christians to maybe proclaim the gospel, the acceptable year of the Lord, and that there's repentance that needs to be had, and then there's um, restoration that needs to be had, and reconciliation that needs to be had, forgiveness that needs to be had. Um, as we look at our world right now, human trafficking is extreme. Slavery is just as uh, rampant as it's ever been. Uh, human trafficked individuals in the hundreds of thousands, children, women, uh, young teenage girls in Nepal where we travel who see some 30 customers a day as they're forced and beaten and abused. Slavery, where uh, just learning from our trips to Asia, that some uh, young boys are kidnapped out of Nepal, taken to fishing boats in East Asia and Thailand, where they're worked night and day for months, and then when they're not needed anymore, they're just shot and thrown overboard. Um, orphans and kidnapped individuals, kidnapped kids that are taken into custody to pad the numbers of the orphanage so that they receive more income. Uh, these are all things that just happen in the place that we go minister to in Asia. And to quote Wil William Wilberforce, the great champion of freedom to Britain, if to be feeling alive to the sufferings of my fellow creatures is to be a fanatic, then I am one of the most incurable fanatics ever permitted to be at large. And so it's part of being a Christian to proclaim liberty to the captives and the undoing of the yoke to those that are bonded. Uh, I didn't read this in first service, but because we have just a little more breathing room, let's look at Luke chapter four, verse 18. Jesus goes into the synagogue in Nazareth where he was raised. He opens up the book of Isaiah and he reads this passage that's about him. And it says this, and this has been really fun. 
This was our memory verse last weekend for our kids. And when I was a kid, my dad left our ranch and went back to vet school. And to remember all of the hard medical things and the schooling, he got this, you know, you remember those uh, tape packs of audio tapes that came in the big plastic thing and they'd snap, you'd open it up and there's like six audio tapes, you know, and it was this learning course called where there's a will, there's an A, you know, and my dad listened to it and he'd start leaving things around the house like Hansel and Gretel and like, like a napkin over here crumpled up on the mantle or something. And, oh, that's just to remember me that the ribonucleic acid of the blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm like, what does that? He's like, I don't know. It's just what they teach us. So for me, I've used that in my life. And so with our kids, I'm like, all right, kids, it's time to memorize Luke chapter four, verses 18 and 19. Okay. Titus, come over here. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I'm just like, the spirit of the Lord is now upon Titus, you know? All right. Because he has anointed me. And then six things. Okay. To preach the gospel to the poor, okay? Uh, I'm going to totally botch it now, so I'm going to try to do it in front of you. All right? He has sent me to heal, this is number two, to heal the brokenhearted, all right? Number three, to proclaim liberty to the captives, all right? And recovery of sight to the blind. That's the fourth thing, okay? Uh, To set at liberty, it's the second time he says something about proclaiming liberty, all right? had a big picture of the Statue of Liberty there for the kids. To proclaim liberty, those who are oppressed. And then I had the kids lay on the couch and I oppressed them. See how I'm pressing you? They're like, I can't breathe, Dad. Well, you're, okay. And then, whew, and then freedom, right? Proclaim, uh, to set at liberty those that are oppressed. And then the sixth thing. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Okay. All right. That's the gospel. That's Isaiah. And then Jesus shows up in Nazareth, busts open the book on the platform, reads it, and then tells everyone listening as all their eyes are on him. He closes the book, walks over, sits down. Everyone's still watching him. And he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And they all said, isn't this Joseph's son? And the son of the carpenter and aren't his brothers, you know, this and that. And then they tried to throw him off the cliff outside of Nazareth. Okay. This is the stuff we're dealing with as we're a part of the kingdom of God in 2022. You guys, it was true in Isaiah. It was fulfilled through Jesus and it's happening in Prineville. And so as we seek the Lord, we believe the spirit of the Lord will come upon us as Christians to proclaim the gospel to the poor all right, to mend the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to recover sight to the blind. You guys, he has this for us today as well. Verse seven. Again, this, these are stellar results of fasting. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? You guys, we used to have a soup kitchen called the Oasis here at the church. Uh, we had it for six years. We operated it here at, uh, in Prineville. And that wasn't the healthy outreach ministry to the poor that you would think it would be. And so we ended up, it was, it was very uh, difficult and there was a lot of idle wickedness that came out of that and we were like we don't know how like to love on the poor but this actually is not it this isn't it and so we backed away from that the lord's led us in other directions for outreach but we're open to the lord this year maybe there's something else that we're to do to help in this way in that ministry sphere but i will tell you something that still is seared in my heart is that we still would help the poor and the outcast and the hurting. And we're going to see that in just a little bit. One year ago, the Lord impressed on our hearts as a church that we call everyone who is able to be a part of the um, adoption and foster um, outreach to this community. Uh, and, and so we fasted last year. And number of people started beginning going through the process through help... Uh, Kindred Connections, 
through the DHS. Right after the fast, Lindsay and I completed in one week uh, the course through DHS. Uh, One thing great about the COVID stuff that's going on is that you can take all the classes online from the comfort of your living room and you don't have to drive to Redmond for six weeks, you know. So it's like the Lord opened that up and we've attempted a few times to do some adoptions and the Lord has shut that door, but we're still for it. We're still praying. We're still crying out for the Lord to bring that. We still desire that there be these um, adoption and foster ministries in the church. Uh, The foster in the community has used us to go and give care packages out. It's been a great blessing. And these are the hurting. You read the book of James, man, the widow and the orphan is a great way to show pure and undefiled religion before God and man. And so this year, again, we're going to press in and pray that we would be able to share our bread, share our homes, and bring these poor and hurting people into our homes, okay? So will you guys pray for that with me? You're like, I don't even, not everybody can adopt. All right. I get that. But you could come and encourage someone who is adopting. You can come and provide some resources and meals for people that are at wit's end because they have their hands so full. And that's all part of this ministry that we have vision for. Dr. Constable, uh, I love that guy from Dallas Theological Seminary. Sounds like with a name like Dr. Constable, you'd probably wear a monocle, right? Like, oh, you know, I'm the Mr. Peanut, you know, Um, but he was in Dallas, so I doubt he had one. But he writes, No religious observance has value for Jehovah that is not supported by a godly law-abiding life and compassion toward those in need. And so that the Lord would up our compassion level to the poor, to the hurting, to the broken, to the outcast, right? To the orphan, to the widow. And here's an answer to such a fast. Look in verse 8. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Anybody here have a good view from their house and ever get to see the sun come up from your view? We, by God's grace, have an incredible backyard view of Barnes Butte. And when we're sitting there in the morning and that sun comes up over Barnes Butte, it awakens the dawn, right? You gotta love it. And that's a result that the Lord desires as we fast, that he would cause light to break forth out of us like the morning. It speaks of a bursting out and a splitting open rays of light out of us, out from us, to our church, to our community, to the world. The next thing it says there in verse 8, your healing shall spring forth speedily. And and one of the languages here uh, in the lexicon is that spring forth. It speaks of to sprout. Anyone ever see healing sprout before? Uh, to grow and to produce. And so healing is a result of proper fasting. And so something that we're going to do this week on Tuesday night, we're going to have a time of anointing people with oil and praying for healing. And I mentioned that earlier, uh, but something that Isaiah says, man, if there's healing that's needed uh, in any way, shape or form, come get anointed with oil. We'll pray for healing that day. Uh, the seventh and eighth thing here, your righteousness will go before you in front of you and the glory of the Lord will be in back of you. It shall be your rear guard. So it's almost a shield. You know, if you ever listen to Tim Hawkins, the comedian, he's so funny, but he talks about, you know, uh, when you're growing up and the little lady prays for you at church and she just prays a hedge of protection over you. And he's like, that's all you're praying for me. A hedge of protection, like Satan's like, well, I was going to come get you, but there's this hedge between me and you. you And uh, I don't do it as good as him. I never claimed to be a comedian. I have claimed that a couple of times. I'm sorry. But you know, you've got, you've got your righteousness that's going before you. This is not righteousness, self-righteousness. This is righteousness that comes through the gospel, right? It'll go before you as you're fasting and seeking Jesus. What's behind you? The glory of the Lord is a rear guard, you guys, I'm no military guy. I wish I was. There's one regret in life. But you always hear the, the awesome, you know, warriors say, I got your six, right? I got your six. I got your back, right? Does the, when you're fasting and you're seeking the Lord, the glory of the Lord's got your six, right? He's got your back. And there's a shield, right? Righteousness in the front. You guys remember the proverb that the wicked flee when nobody's even pursuing them? But the righteous is as bold as a lion going forward in righteousness. 
protection from behind by the glory of the Lord. Uh, Webb said, this is all full realization of the covenant blessing for which Judah had been longing for, as Isaiah writes it. Look at verse 9. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. Anybody you just need an answer from the Lord? Like you're at that place in your life where you've been praying and you're not hearing, you don't know, and you need an answer. And in fasting, a stellar result is that you'll call, ring, 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 and the Lord will answer, right? You'll cry and he shall say, here I am, all right? Uh, And then verse 10 shows us a little bit of a clause there. If, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul. So looking for those ways of mercy ministry during the fasting, looking to repent and become more compassionate as a Christian. If you'll do that, then, so you got the if then, right? Then verse 10, halfway through. Your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness and your gloom shall be as the noon day. Anybody just feel like, honestly, there's almost like a dark cloud over your head that's just raining on you. You're like a cartoon character that's just going around and, you know, you walk into a room and there's like the sound of thunder and people jump a little bit. and They're like, oh, she's here, you know, just dark countenance. The Lord wants to bring light. The Lord wants to make your darkness as bright as the noonday. Your light shall dawn in the darkness and your gloom will be as the noonday. These are dramatic results of the Spirit of God shining on a person's life. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually. Do you need guidance? Such a great testimony of fasting is that when you don't know what to do, fast. Second Chronicles chapter 20, it's not a verse that I was preparing for you guys today, but King Jehoshaphat was surrounded by armies and they were going to come attack him. And there's this beautiful verse in Second Chronicles 20 where Jehoshaphat declares a fast for Judah And he prays a prayer during the fast that says, Oh Lord, we are surrounded on every side and we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Is that anybody in your life, in any situation that you're in? Whatever it is. I mean, maybe it's emotional stuff. Like I am surrounded on every side. My emotions, I feel like I'm suffocating. Or maybe it's decisions that you've got to make, or maybe it's the bank account is running dry or there's just, I'm surrounded on every side. I can't get a win and I don't know what to do. Ah, you're in the perfect place because <laughs> then you realize you're my only hope. My eyes are on you. And as you read second Chronicles chapter 20, a prophet stands up and he says, prepare the worship leaders, have them go out in front of the battle in front of the people and the worship leaders will go out and they'll fight the battle. It says, You will not need to fight in this battle, but you get to just sit back and rest. And the Lord goes and he causes such a victory that it took the children of Judah three days to gather all the spoil. That's always been such a, a verse for us in our life. And just maybe for you today, you're surrounded on every side. You don't know what to do, but your eyes are on the Lord And the Lord just has a word for you that if you'll position yourself, as the prophet says, position yourself behind the worship leaders, you will not need to fight in this battle. And I have had so many things come into my life where I'm like, this is it. This is it. This is how the church implodes. This is how it crumbles. This is, you know, how there's division that's going to split the church. This is how, you know, like, this is it. This is how it goes. And then we go to a fast and prayer and the Lord just brings, like changes the direction of the river. And you're just like, oh, but God, amen. And hopefully that's encouraging to you guys. I know that was a little tangent, but man, is there anyone that's never been there in their life? I've never been surrounded on any side. I always know what to do. So I never look to the Lord. I really feel sorry for you. All right. All right. Moving right along. I digress. 
So there's guidance there, right? From Ezra chapter 8, verse 21, Ezra writes, I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. So you don't know what to do with selling your house or buying a vehicle or what college you should go to or who you should marry or if your kids should be homeschooled or go to school. Proclaim a fast among your home with your family. Fast. One meal. Fast. Pray. And seek the Lord for you, for your little ones, and for all your possessions. Okay? Uh, Then we've got in verse, uh, this is number 13. I think my numbers might be a little off. I'm not really good at counting, so rely on Microsoft's auto count thing, and sometimes it fails you. Um, All right? But it says, and uh, will satisfy your soul in drought? Are you just parched? I mean, guys, SpongeBob might be a little bit out there and silly, but have you ever seen him when he gets real parched and dried up? And he's like, right? You know, the guy needs water. He needs satisfaction, all right? Some of you guys, you're like, this is my spiritual walk. I'm a California raisin, you know? And the Lord's like, let me give you a little Holy Spirit and satisfy your soul in drought, okay? All right. And then, verse 11 has a promise that he will strengthen your bones. I don't know what the condition is. If you have brittle bone disease or weak bone osteoporosis, you know, this is very encouraging to those with brittle bone disease. No doubt. All right. No doubt the Lord can heal that. Uh, my, my mom, I love her and everyone loves my mom. Right. And she has just such a sweet, like encouragement for people and always loves to just bring cheer and sweetness imbibe a sweetness to them and she's done this thing i think since i was like in high school where she's kind of gone up to people and she kind of does this little sweet thing with her hands where she just i just have a little blessing for you you know just have a little blessing you know kind of the baby doll hands thing if you've seen people do the baby doll hand thing you know she just says hey Uh, and she'll just go oh bless your bones and bless your bones and bless your bones you know and everyone loves it they're like and so now we say that we're saying goodbye to friends at night and bless your bones you know um And so, you know, who doesn't need a good bone blessing, right? The literal translation of it is, gird your body and limbs and make ready for fighting. It's a little different, right? June 5th, 1944. The 101st Airborne is getting ready to board the C-47 transport planes and cross and jump onto Omaha Beach, you know. And then my, you know, the little lady comes in from France. Bless your bones. And bless your bones, bless all of your bones the same, you know. And, uh, and you know, Dwight Eisenhower's like, gird up the loins and get ready for battle and bless your little bones, all right? Uh, so during our fasting and prayer, what does the Lord do for the summer that's drawing near, as Chrysostom said? He's girding us up. He's getting us ready for the battle. He's strengthening our bones. He's blessing your little bones, okay? Uh, the 14th thing. It goes on to say, you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Anybody here a gardener? Any gardener? Like a green thumb. All right. One person out of everybody here. Hey, when the apocalypse happens and we're all hungry, we're going to be hanging out at your house. So, um, so anyways, uh, what about a well-watered garden? Just, oh, there's life. There's color. There's fruit, there's harvest. Gotta love that secret garden, right? The well-watered garden. That is a beautiful picture of what uh, happens in our soul as we fast and pray. But you gotta love the end of the phrase, whose waters do not fail. And this is just a picture of the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Jesus referenced it in John chapter 7. And as we get into the book of Acts in weeks to come, uh, that's something that we're gonna be praying for as a church that we would have the waters of the Holy Spirit that would never fail flowing from this church. Uh, Moving on, verse 12. There's only 14 verses, guys. That's how close we are to being done, okay? Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. So something that fasting does is it builds the old waste places. Now for you, you might be like, I'm not sure how to get excited about that. Um, but 
It reminds me of in the book of Genesis, in chapter 26, verse 15, when Isaac had to redig his father Abraham's wells. Oh, at one point, Father Abraham had dug them out. They were life-bringing. They watered the flocks and the people, and they brought life to all around. And then something happened over the years where those wells had just caved back in with the sand and the dirt. And maybe that's just a picture of there was something in our life or in your life or our life as a church, and we once had life in certain areas. And then just stuff happens and slough happens, and it just fills that back in. And the Lord says, you know what? I want you to rebuild the old waste places. Maybe you literally have a grandfather or a father who was a man of God, or you have a heritage that there was great wells. And just through life, it just fills in. Or you'll raise up the foundations of many generations. We're going to, Wednesday night, have youth group at the church and uh, so middle school, high school, it's all going to be 7, or I'm sorry, 6 p.m. at our gathering. No youth group except everyone will be here for that evening session. And we're going to pray and lay hands on the youth and pray for this next foundation. We're going to pray a foundation over the future generations to come. Praying over our youth. Uh, the 17th thing, you will be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in the restorer of streets to dwell in alan redpath said and worship team you can come on up redpath says how there needs to be a rebuilding work today we live in a broken world in every direction there are breaches which are wide and deep there are broken hearts and broken homes and that which once was sacred is but a waste place Whereas once there was a carefully guarded fence around the sanctuary of family life and the right to personal privacy, now there's just a waste place. The wall of protection is in ruins and the life has lost all its meaning. And so in verse 13 of our text, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, And shall honor him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. So great correction to the children of Judah about the Sabbath. And we can uh, bring the theological aspect to the Lord's day for us. And Isaiah says there, if you'll stop just calling Sunday, Sunday, fun day, because it's a chance for you to have a vacation during the week and just go play. And you'll come back to the spiritual things that we see in the New Testament, seeking the Lord, valuing the Lord's day, doing holiness, giving people a rest so they can go worship, things like that. We've had great studies on this as a church. Um, I'll bring great blessing upon your life. But if you're going to use it as, you know, Sunday is just another day of the week that I just go and live for myself. Um, That's a disastrous thing for you, for your home, and for uh, the world. And um, I was thinking about this week at our home group. Uh, we have a guy in our home group, Clay Allen, who uh, it's just so neat to see what the Lord's doing in his life since this summer, just, just following Jesus hard. And he's one of the guys in our home group that reads the questions before he gets there and fills out and takes notes. This is an electrician in our community, you know, and he had this uh, saying that I go, can I quote you on that, you know? And it, the question was something about, how can you foster um, like a pursuit of God in your life or something like that? And he wrote down, uh, and I, I kind of paraphrase it. There are no life hacks when it comes to inclining your heart towards God. We love a good life hack, don't we? Like, how can I get around working too hard on this? You know, how can I get around, you know, the regular gathering together with the saints? That would be a good thing if I could just skirt around that one and kind of live my life. No, there's no life hacks. This is from a guy that since probably July or August has been following Jesus hardcore. I'm learning there's no life hacks to follow in Jesus. You just follow Jesus. It's so amazing. All right, the 20th thing. You guys are like, let's wrap your bad boy up, Okay. You will uh, ride, oh, this is the 19th thing, I'm sorry. It was the 18th thing. We have three more things, but it'll be fast. You shall delight yourself in the Lord, verse 14. So delight yourself in the Lord. Fasting restores the lamp of our first love in our relationship with the Lord. The 19th thing is you shall uh, be caused to ride on the high hills of the earth. And I was just reading through old notes and remembering um, 
our ministry to Nepal, climbing the Himalayas, sharing the gospel. And uh, right now, you guys, we're going through our organization and Nepal's uh, being persecuted, fleeing the country. And our trip is in jeopardy right now for April. And yet we know the Lord's given us a vision to reach the unreached people of the Himalayas. And so we're going to be fasting this week. Lord, what does this year look like? What's our future look like? And our desire is to ride on those high hills and share the gospel to the unreached of the Himalayas. And uh, for what purpose? The last thing there at the end, to feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. So in our fasting, we'll be fed with the heritage of Jacob, our father. It's the same heritage as Isaac. It's the same heritage as Jacob, that through them, through Jesus, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so you can set your things aside and set your things aside. Let's stand together. And Lord, uh, as we look at these stellar results of prayer and fasting, Lord, our hearts are excited. We almost are cautious, like, dare I dream too much? Dare I hope too much? But Lord, here's your word. We've read it. As one preacher says, the Bible says it and experience confirms it. We've seen you move. And Lord, as we're afraid, as we're nervous, as we don't quite know really what the week's to look like for us, just settle it in our hearts this afternoon, what the week should look like. We're going to close with a song and just let our hearts ponder these things and then just have a final moment of looking at the schedule of the week to inform you guys on that. So go ahead, Clay, close us with this song.